the reality of our world, and we can all acknowledge that there is something terribly wrong with this world. Today we're going to focus on a story that reveals that yes, this world has broken, something is very wrong with this world, but we're going to focus on how there is one person who has come that can make all things right in this world. The Bible tells us that Jesus came and he's the only one that could have and is in the process currently of making all things right in this world. So let's look at him together this morning. As we're continuing in our series in the Gospel of John, we've been meditating on different conversations that Jesus had with individual people. We talk about encountering Jesus, and Jesus continues to encounter people just like you and me today. He's encountering us, and he wants to encounter you personally. So we're going to look at John chapter 11. And look at the story of how he encountered two sisters, two hurting sisters named Martha and Mary. Now, as you turn there to John chapter 11, I want you to just know the context briefly. John chapter 10, Jesus had been teaching about how he is one with the Father. And the Jewish leaders did not appreciate that message. And they said, how you being a man make yourself to be God? And so they clearly heard his message that Jesus is God. And so they wanted to stone him, but he got away because it wasn't yet his time to die. And so it says in John 10, verse 40, that he had retreated and he went about a day's journey away across the Jordan River to where John the Baptist had been ministering. So chapter 11 picks up with Jesus about a day's journey away. Now, chapter 11, verses 1, 2, and 3 describe that a man named Lazarus was ill to the point of death. Now, it also says that that the two sisters, Mary and Martha, had sent a messenger. Now, back then, they didn't have WhatsApp or Skype, and so they had no other means but to send an individual person to go travel one day away to tell Jesus. And it says, that the one whom you love is sick. And so we're seeing that Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He was very close to this family. So let's read verse 4, picking up the story. And it says, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, we'll see in a minute, but by the time the messenger even reached Jesus across the Jordan River, Lazarus had already died. So he died whenever Jesus hadn't even heard the message yet. But Jesus, being God, he already knew what happened. He knew that Lazarus had already died. But he says that the final outcome of this situation will not be death. It won't be. But God's glory is going to be revealed. These words of Jesus in verse 4 need to just reverberate in our minds and in our souls. And may it just kind of bounce around inside of us. And we need to internalize this and understand how profound these words are. Jesus says, it is for the glory of God. So that the Son of God may be glorified through 
it. See, our God in heaven is infinitely perfect and magnificent. His wisdom is inexhaustible. His beauty and his love is limitless. His faithfulness is everlasting. His power and his sovereignty can't be challenged. His goodness and his mercy is endless. In a word, simply, God is glorious. God has created every one of us to live with heart-gripping and life-shaping awe of him. And so he's made us to see his glory, to recognize it as glorious, to desire it, to enjoy it, and then to live our lives in light of that glory. But see, here's our problem as sinful humans is because of our sinful nature, far too often we don't live in awe of God. Our hearts crave many other things instead. And it can even be good things. I mean, yes, we can crave things that are sinful, but we can even crave and be in awe of things that are are objectively good, like marriage or a degree of of pleasure or even having possession. Possessions aren't evil in of themselves or even accomplishments. These things might not be evil, but when we're in awe of those things, when our hearts desire, we crave any of these created things that are finite more than we're in awe of God. You know what happens? The result? Disappointment. Every single time. When we live in more in awe of created things than the creator, we are bound for disappointment. You see, God has created us in such a way that he wants our eyes fixed on him. You see, God being glorious, he wants all eyes on him. Him. God wants all obedience to Him. He wants all meaning and purpose focused on, centered around Him. Why? Because He alone is worthy. He alone can satisfy. He's the only way that we're going to find peace for our soul and joy, even in the middle of hard circumstances. So we were made to be in awe of Jesus, to see his glory and to just delight in it. And Jesus right here is about to resurrect a man who was dead. So bring him back from the grave for the glory of God so that the son may be glorified through it. And so he is about to display his infinite perfections, his glory, his power, his wisdom, so that we can see it, be in awe of him. And then respond with hearts that are just more hungry and more thirsty for more of him. Because you come back full circle. That's where there's joy. Without him, there's nothing but emptiness and darkness and sadness. And so what he wants is us to have maximum joy in life. And it's only found in him. And so he says, look, I'm going to show you who I am. So you can be in awe of me and desire me. And then I'm going to fill you with me. And then you're going to live with purpose and meaning, joy, no matter what life throws at you. So let me give you the main idea. The primary truth from John 11 
is that Jesus' victory over the grave powerfully displays the glory of God. This is not about just the resurrection of Lazarus. This is about Jesus' victory over the grave powerfully is displaying the glory of God. So Jesus is truly human, but also fully God. He is both. He is God in the flesh. This is a mystery that we can't fully comprehend as humans, but that we accept and we believe and, and we treasure because it's true. As a human, Jesus represented sinful humanity on the cross, but as God, he resurrected powerfully. He conquered the grave. And so the chains of death could not even hold Jesus. And so he has won the victory over sin and death. And so those of us who have entrusted our souls to Jesus, we have nothing to fear. As we read earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. This truth should give us hope. It should just fill you with hope. Hope for what? Hope to continue fighting the good fight. Hope to give you the courage to find more awe, more glory in Jesus than anything else that this world could offer us. We are secure in him. We are forgiven and accepted and delighted in. And you are a treasure to God. And nothing could ever separate you from Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And he is displaying this glory, this power over death, and what it does for us through this story. Let's go back to the story, verses 5 and 6. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So there's three. So Martha and Mary and then Lazarus. Verse 6. So... When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, we need to stop there for a second. Verse 5, it says that he loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. So this Bible is saying he loved them, so he stayed two days longer. Did you catch that? He loved them. And because he loves them, he stayed two days longer and did not go to heal Lazarus and allow him to die. Have you ever had a situation in your life where you have asked, either in your mind or maybe out loud, where is Jesus? Why is he not showing up? Where is God in this? I don't see him. Because he loved them, he did not show up when they thought he should have. See, God had bigger plan in store because he always has a plan and it is always full of love. 
he knows what he's doing. And we'll see that more clearly as this story unfolds. The next several verses, verses 7 through 13, describe Jesus telling his disciples that Lazarus had died, and now it's time. Again, he waited two days. Now it's time to go visit the grieving sisters, Martha and Mary. And so in verse 14, we'll pick up the story there. He says, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad. Listen, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to the disciples, let us all go that we may die with him. Thomas is just awesome. Thomas just, he just says what he's thinking. And he says, all right, we're all going to go die. Remember chapter 10, they were trying to stone Jesus. And they were retreating and ministering about a day's journey. Now Jesus says, Lazarus is dead. Let's go back to the hornet's nest. And they're saying, okay, are you sure about that? And he says, I'm God. Of course I'm sure about that. We need to go. I have a purpose to accomplish. And so they head back to Bethany, which is very close to Jerusalem. Everything that God is doing, everything Jesus is doing has a purpose. We have to understand this. Everything he does has a purpose. He is showing his glory so that we can be in awe and then be drawn closer to him. And so he comes into into the brokenness of our lives and he meets us right where we are so that we can then experience more of him and, and fill us with more hope and transform our hearts that much more. So when Jesus meets you and me, like we're about to see that he meets Mary and Martha, he does so with truth. So we're going to see in the rest of the story three truths that we encounter when we come face to face with Jesus. So encountering Jesus is encountering these truths. Number one, so Jesus displays the glory of God by meeting you with truth to believe. This is number one, that when we encounter Jesus, there's particular truth that we have to believe. Verses 17 and following. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Amen. Jews typically buried their dead on the very same day that the person died. They didn't embalm 
And so in order to prevent the odor, they'd put spices. But on that day, they would go ahead and bury the person. So by the fourth day, there had already been some decomposition, clearly, that had already happened. Now, the Jews also had a belief that for three days after the person's death, the spirit would kind of hover around, maybe waiting for a resuscitation. But once you get to the fourth day, the spirit would just go, and there was no more possibility of any kind of being resuscitated or being resurrected. And so we talk about four days, understand the sequence. It took one day for the messenger to get to Jesus. Jesus hung around two more days by the Jordan River, and then one more day to travel back to Bethany. So that's four days total, which again means that Lazarus died before the messenger ever even got to Jesus. Jesus already knew this. But he waited two more days so that he would arrive on the fourth day so that everyone would think it's impossible. There's just no possibility of a resurrection. And Martha, can you just hear her pain? If you've ever lost a loved one, she's lost her brother. And she's crying out, Lord, if, if you had just been here, he would not have died. And she knows, she's seen the miracles of the lame walking, the blind seeing. She knows Jesus could have healed Lazarus. But he wasn't there. And she knows that God hears Jesus' prayers. But a resurrection was impossible, even for Jesus. And so in her deep pain and, and sorrow, in this despair, understand that Jesus could have healed Lazarus from the distance. I mean, he could have just said the word and healed Lazarus. He could have. But he didn't. He wanted Martha and Mary and everyone else there to realize how much they need him. He was putting them in a position where they had to trust him in their pain. Because it would lead to more of God's glory being displayed and further transformation for them. He was doing this out of love. Not that it was easy in the moment, but he was allowing them to trust him. It may not seem like it in the moment. It may just seem like it's just impossible. It may seem like God is not there, but he is showing you greater love. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. He's going to be resurrected. Now, Martha knows that at the end of time in human history, there's going to be a resurrection. So she says, yes, I know that. But she doesn't believe that it's going to happen there in the middle of human history. And Jesus, in the middle of her pain, he brings her truth. See, her vision for God was too small. And he speaks truth in her pain. He doesn't apologize for being late. He wasn't late. He's Jesus. He doesn't say, I'm so sorry I wasn't here. He is sovereign. He's in control. He's doing what's best. And he reminds her of truth that she has to believe. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? So when we encounter Jesus, we encounter truth that we have to believe. See, Jesus is not like 
Muhammad or, or the Buddha or any other religious leader who claims to have been enlightened or find the path or reveal how someone can reach God. It's not like Jesus says, I have the knowledge that I can give you so that you can then attain resurrection. No, no, not Jesus. Jesus stands alone. You can't compare him to any other religious leader or founder. Jesus says, not that I know the way. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Do you believe this? This is a claim of being God. Because only God can give life. Only God can resurrect the dead. Jesus himself, he is the power that gives life to everything that's alive and sustains that life. And so Jesus doesn't show you how. He says, I am the solution. I am here to make everything right that is wrong with this world. He doesn't say, I'll show you how. Reach God. He says, I am God and I have come to find you. He came And he's making it so clear to Martha that he is her only hope. In the middle of her pain and sorrow, he reminds her of truth. And she does get it to a degree because she says, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You are the Son of God and you've come from heaven into the world. And so she does believe. She knows this truth. It's intellectual. It's in her head. She knew the truth. But that truth hadn't taken root deep enough inside of her soul. So this truth that she did believe wasn't impacting her. If she truly believed what she was saying, then she wouldn't doubt that Jesus could resurrect her brother right then and there. And so she believed the truth, but it wasn't, it wasn't impacting her life. Can you relate? To having head knowledge or knowing things or being in church for a long time and you know truth, but somehow it's not connecting enough where it's actually impacting how you think or how you feel or how you speak or how you behave. Are you focusing on very difficult or disappointing circumstances? And you're finding it hard to let the truth that's in your head about who Jesus is and his promises, and it's not quite going deep enough to change your life. We have to truly rest in Jesus. Our souls rest in him and be in awe of him and let his truth, the power of his spirit, as we focus on him, let it take such deep root that it begins to really impact our daily lives with Focus on the power of God, not on the circumstances. Believe the truth of who Jesus is. And let that impact our daily lives. We encounter him afresh every single day. His mercies are new every morning. And so when we encounter Jesus, we encounter absolute truth of who he is and who we are in relation to him. But he doesn't just say, here's truth. Number two, he's displaying the glory of God by meeting you with compassion. So there's 
truth to be believed, but compassion to be experienced. Verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had been, had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sound familiar? When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, she, he was moved deeply in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? So the other sister, Mary, runs to Jesus, falls at his feet in an act of worship and says the same thing that Martha said. Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Can you just imagine, just picture four days of that same conversation, saying it over every day, oh, if only Jesus had shown up, if only Jesus were here. And this wouldn't have happened. With Martha, Jesus speaks truth to her. But here, with Mary, same kind of conversation. He doesn't speak truth to her. He weeps. He, he enters into her pain and her agony. He's just holding her and just crying right there with her. In her brokenness, he's just in the glory of God as a, as a loving father who just holds you when you're hurting. And he wants you to experience, yes, truth, but also compassion. And he's gracious and he's loving, being perfectly human, but also God. You see here his humanity. Jesus is just incredible. I'm so in awe of him. He is he's the lion and the lamb. He is humble, but he is confident. He has tenderness, but without weakness. He has strength without harshness. Power without being insensitive. Authority without being self-absorbed. A, a strong leader, but not controlling. It's Jesus is the perfect man. Obviously, he's God. He's a perfect human who balances truth and compassion. And he wants us to experience his compassion when he encounters us. He really does enter into your pain, and he's merciful. And he wants you to be shaped by his love. We have to internalize this truth, though. God accepts you, and you have his approval. But sometimes, maybe it's just me, but we struggle to show grace to other people. You know that difficult person in your life? No, don't point. But, you know, that person that's hard to love in your life? You know, you know that person's hard to forgive? 
that you're just having a really hard time letting go and forgiving that individual? You know, you know what I'm talking about where we're having a hard time showing love to people that we know that we're supposed to be gracious and love that strong-willed child? When we're having a hard time expressing compassion, when we're not forgiving, when we're not showing grace, when our words aren't filled with kindness, when we're having a hard time being compassionate, it's evidence that you are not experiencing that yourself. Because you can't love if you haven't been loved. You can't show mercy if you've never tasted mercy. And so if you're having a hard time with forgiving, is it possible that you have forgotten how much you have been forgiven? If you're having a hard time expressing grace or love, maybe you don't understand how much grace God has for you and how much he desperately loves you and treasures you and enjoys you. You have to first experience love and mercy before you can ever hope to express it. You have to know and believe that God really delights in you and treasures you. And he wants you to be transformed. You lack nothing. If you're a believer in Jesus, hear me, please. You lack nothing. You need nothing else to have joy. You need nothing else to have significance or meaning. You have everything that you need. Forgiveness, God's presence, his spirit, his word, his people to encourage you. You lack nothing else. And when we want more, we're saying that it's not enough. But you have God. And he wants to transform you. There's truth to be believed, but there's compassion to be experienced when we encounter Jesus. Lastly, as we wrap things up, Jesus displays the glory of God by meeting you with victory to grasp. There is victory to grab hold of. You see this in the last paragraph. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus says, take away the stone, Martha. The sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for it has been, been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and just lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Amen. It says that he was deeply moved. The literal translation is he was snorting like a horse. Like that's the literal but it actually refers to anger. And so this move, the main emotion there was anger. So Jesus was mad. Well, why was he angry? He's angry at death. You see, he didn't create the world to have death in it. He created us for life, not death. He, he didn't create us to have to say goodbye to loved ones. This separation is not part of God's plan. We're made to live forever, enjoy him and each other forever, never having to say goodbye, never having to taste death or separation. Never. And so Jesus here 
is praying for the benefit of those that are around. And then he says with authority, Lazarus, come out. Now, Jesus was very clear. There's so much power in his word that he specified, Lazarus, you come out. If he hadn't, if he hadn't specified, there's so much power in, in Jesus' word that every single dead person in every grave would have come out. But he says, just you, Lazarus, you come out. How do I know that? Because one day he's going to come back in full glory, and he's going to say, come out. And every single believer in every single grave on the planet is going to hear that voice and respond and obey and come out of the grave. There's that much power in Jesus' word. He has victory over death. He would soon die after this story. This story set in motion his crucifixion and he resurrected. This story is so much more than the resurrection of Lazarus who would die again in his life. This is pointing to Jesus' victory over the grave. His own victory and our victory. So we have victory over sin and death itself. His victory is our victory. And so we don't have to live defeated. There's victory to grasp. This story should give us hope. Yes, hope for eternity. Absolutely. But hope for today. Whatever you're going through. You don't have to live defeated with anger or fear or addiction or depression. The same power that resurrected Lazarus will resurrect Jesus. It's the same power in you that's going to resurrect you one day. And so we must not forget. Don't live defeated. Remember who you are. Remember who you belong to. Remember this victory. Remember who Jesus is. Remember to draw near to him and allow his presence to fuel you to walk in obedient victory for him every day. Have you encountered Jesus? If you're here and you never have, for the first time today, you can trust in him and his work on the cross for you and you can be forgiven. If you're like most of us in the room that are believers, we encounter him afresh every day. There is truth we must believe and compassion that we get to experience, but a victory that we must grab hold of and live in light of. May we teach this to our children and tell those we don't know who are desperate for him that he is the life and the resurrection. And I pray there will be a church that reflects his glory of our King every day. Let's pray. We praise you, Lord. You are everything to us. We are so desperate for you. We praise you that you enter into our lives, including into our pain and into our brokenness, and you have come to resurrect so whatever we're going through, we trust you that you specialize in the impossible and you resurrect the dead and so you can resurrect whatever we're struggling with. Help us to trust you more and to not doubt you, to know that you're working all things for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Help us to be a church that truly displays this glory of our God, our King Jesus. And we pray it in his name.